The Rough Drafts Podcast is sponsored by Unicorn.com, the world's premier eSport betting site. Log on today to bet on all your favorite eSports titles at the simple click of a button. Choose your game, choose your team, earn Unicorns, and who knows, maybe you'll earn enough to enter to win any number of fabulous prizes, such as Logitech peripherals or CSGO skins in their marketplace. Unicorn.com. Log on today. Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I'm a free agent head coach and analyst as well as a contributor at Slingshot Esports. And welcome to our live breakdown of the League of Legends World Championship action from week one. Uh, this is exciting. We don't do live shows very often, but after you guys seem to really like the one we did during the group's live draw, we decided why not share this lovely moment with you people uh, who are going to be following us on twitch.tv slash podcast, which I'm only name-dropping for the sake of people who will be watching the video or audio later on. Uh, but, you know, we're just excited to talk about this week of Worlds. This was an amazing week. Walter, I think you said this might be better than IPL5, which I think is sacrilege coming from you. I, I never that expected is. those words to leave your mouth. That, that is, that is pretty, pretty sacrilege from me. Because I hold IPL 5 in like an extremely, extremely high standard. Um, it was one of the best international run tournaments of its time. It had a lot of really good storylines coming off of the TPA uh, success at Worlds. I, we were like less than a month out of the, the Season 2 World Championships. Like It was really good. You had some really, really poor wild card-esque teams from Europe and from North America. Teams like Meet Playground and Team Iceland. Um, but other than that, like this has been one of the most entertaining tournaments to watch. It's been one, it's been one of the most well-run tournaments to watch. Even the Aurelian Soulbug aside, Riot, you know, Riot's done a fantastic job. They've gotten out of their intro incredibly quickly. We've had pick bands basically starting at seven ten mm-hmm. Eastern time, which is one thing I've been pretty critical of their tournaments in the past. Um, and especially things like when you get into IEM stuff where it seems like there's 45 minutes in between games. Um, they've allowed their analysts to talk. We've seen a variety of the, the sort of the undercard analysts. We've seen Frostier and we've seen Papa Smithy. Um, I haven't watched any of the, the player experience alternate streams, but heard some good things, even though there was like a day where everyone's like, oh, we can't we can't crap all over Frostier anymore. Let's crap all over LS. And... <laughs> You know, it, it is what it is, Look, but it's been a fantastic tournament so far, in, in my opinion. As an LMS fan, I've learned that Reddit just is not something I could take into account for any of my opinions whatsoever. Uh, they don't even bother to talk about any of the things that I'm, I wish they'd talk about. So that's what we're going to do here. We're going to talk about all of the aspects of week one that really jumped out at us. And we have to start with the two storylines that I think are always crossing fans' minds when they watch a tournament like this. Because we get so few international tournaments in League of Legends. And if you're just watching League of Legends now and you're, you're getting into it because the World Championship is going on, and I know a lot of people are doing that, uh, you have to understand that this is one of two tournaments that we really get. There's the IEM stuff, but that it's kind of hard to say how much that matters and how seriously teams take it. You know, They're brought in by fan votes. These are teams that have earned their spot. And we have now seen teams like Albus Knox Luna taking two wins. We're seeing a group stage in which there were zero teams that went 3-0 in week one. That is unprecedented in the League of Legends World Championship history, at least as far back as I could go. Yeah. So, Walter, is the gap closing? I, I know it's, it's, it's become a meme in of itself, but we have to ask, like, is the gap closing here? So I think when you look at the very best team, the gap between the, the best team in the world, so Rocks or SKT, and the very worst team, which is probably the worst team in you know Japan or Australia or whatever, I, I don't think it is. I don't think that t- 
total international gap is closing. But I think it when you look at the, the quality of the players mm-hmm. in terms of their individual mechanics, in terms of their, their shot calling, in terms of their macro play, it's definitely shrinking. I don't think that there is a player really at this tournament that I've looked at and go, mechanically, this person does not deserve to be here. There have been times where teams make some pretty poor decisions. There have been times when players have some pretty awful build paths. But there has not been a moment where I feel like an individual player or a group of players are so far outclassed that they don't belong at the tournament. We we had moments of that with the Bangkok Titans last year where just sometimes you would look at them and go, man, oh man, you guys just don't, you bless your hearts, but you just don't stand a chance at all. Yeah. And even even just me paying attention to the International Wildcard Tournament and now the two teams they sent, how well they're matching up against the teams on the stage, I think the overall talent level gap is closing. Mm-hmm. Now, the next part of that question is, is the infrastructure, is the overall macro play? If you put SKT against Albus Knox Luna in a best of five series, what team is going to win? Well, it's probably going to be SKT because of, you know, aforementioned reasons of that they've had for longer. They've had the game for longer. They've had a dedicated server for longer. They've had a dedicated league just for them for longer. So uh, I think the gap is shrinking in terms of the overall talent. Um, but the other stuff, we're, we're still probably a couple a couple years away from that also really shrinking down. Yeah, and, and let's be clear. I think we're going to see a lot of that in week two. You know, it's very fun right now because there are all these upsets and we're seeing, you know, the kind of results that we would not expect to happen. You know, Rocks Tigers falling to who he just going <laughs> off on Aurelian Soul and making Prey disappear. Like, that's not a thing that anyone would have said was going to happen going into the tournament. But we have to also acknowledge that teams adapt and they improve, and a lot of that comes down to the infrastructure that's at play. Uh, you know, I love what we see in the international wildcard teams do, but let's remember that Albus Knox Luna was playing World of Warcraft Legion right before the tournament because they couldn't find any scrim partners. Mm-hmm. And it's not their fault. You know, I, I don't blame them because what were they supposed to do? They can't make people play them in scrims. But that also means that there's by necessity going to be a problem in how they are able to prepare for these kinds of events, Uh, specifically best of threes and best of fives. You know, time and time again, we have seen that, you know, that regions of the world that have these best of fives and that have more experience playing elongated series do a better job adapting, have coaches that are more prepared to adapt as a series goes back and forth and ebbs and flows and, you know, can handle taking a loss in a way that, teams that don't have as much experience doing it don't necessarily have. So it's it, it's hard to say, you know, whether the gap is closed in that sense. And it won't really be until we get to the quarterfinals when we start these best of fives that we'll mm. be able to know for sure. But there is another angle on this, Walter, that's worth taking because mm. we look at, you know, Europe. And, you know, Europe just did not do well as a region in the first week. That's going to be a trend that's going to come up on this podcast once or twice, I think it's safe to say. Um, and, and, and it's easy to say that there are regional gaps in that regard. But in all reality, like I can't think of a European team that would have done better here. And when you look at you know, all of these regions, you look at the, the drop-off between the last team that got into this tournament and the last team out, do, do we feel that this gap is, is more of a regional gap or a team gap? Because when the same teams are showing up, you know, you start to wonder, are regions growing or are individual teams growing and regions that don't see that team growth are struggling? So, so that's really the rub here is we're, we're going to look at the, the regions that are being successful at this tournament. And, it, and it's mostly it's uh, the North American region. LMS is being successful. Korea is being successful. Uh, and China, to a certain extent, is being successful. The players and the teams that they are sending are consistently getting there. We're talking about North America these two teams were the teams that made it last year. TSM and Cloud9. Granted, Cloud9 has different players, and TSM does have kind of a different team uh, than they did last year. They've made it since Season 3. Mm-hmm. And TSM has made every single Worlds ever. They've gone to six straight World Championship tournaments. Like, it happens. That's, that's right. Uh, and you look at it and you go, okay, well, would Immortals be doing any better? I'm not positive about that. Would Team Liquid be doing any better? 
I don't think so. Would Envy be doing any better? No. We're seeing in Europe that they sent different teams this year. Mm -hmm. There's no Fnatic. There's no Alliance slash CLGEU. There's no Gambit. These are all different teams that are cycling through Europe and entering into the world stage. And we see that they're really struggling here. And that the time that Europe did was very successful last year was because it was players that had been to worlds multiple times and it was organizations that had been to worlds multiple times. So they understood all the various little nuances of the travel, of, of all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Korea, Rocks, SKT, same two teams they sent last year. There's just a consistency in the players, in the organizations that are going through that's really stringent. Even Samsung had been to World Championship with two teams two years ago when Samsung White and Samsung Blue went. So I think part of the problem is that if you took the the fourth best team in Korea and the fourth best team in Europe and put them against each other, I think Korea crushes that. So I don't necessarily think it's regional. Uh, the regional gap is closing. I think it is the team and the player gap that is closing. You know, there's only so many times that you can play against Faker as a player before you finally, you know, learn how to play against him and you can really hold your own. And even if you might not win a best of five series, you're going to get closer and closer and closer. Mm-hmm. You know, TSM and CLG played each other three times, you know, essentially before TSM was really able to to overcome what CLG was accomplishing. Uh, it took them multiple times to figure out their strategy, to figure out everything. And the best teams of the world are always going to constantly be shifting and changing. Right. Um, but you, you start to learn tendencies and patterns. And just because the, the champion meta changes doesn't mean that the way that Dyrus dodges a, a skill shot changes. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that the way fa- where Faker likes to place his wards to defend his lane necessarily changes. Well, so I think it's more more teams are getting used to playing the same teams on the international stage than anything else. I mean, I, I see what you're saying to a certain extent, but I actually like the point that you touched on when you talked about the organizational know-how a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So like, like, to a certain extent, like, yes, players have tendencies, but we have seen players evolve quite a bit. Bjergsen from Season 3 is such a different player <laughs> than Bjergsen in Season 6 right now. Just yeah. in terms of how he calls the game, you know where these rotations are going. Like there has been significant growth, but the thing that worries me is that the institutions that are growing, it's the same institutions. TSM from season three to season six has grown significantly. It's why we think that they even have a chance to win Group D, which is going to be a very talented group. But has Liquid as an organization? You know, we make the joke forever fourth. Why is it that an organization like that keeps failing to make worlds? You know, if they, if, is it really, you know, does this trickle down effect of, well, TSM's getting better, so then the rest of NA will get better? I'm not sure that's panning out. And, and that's the problem that I have. And I think it's one of the things that's really come to roost in Europe is that the organizations that know how to handle this situation aren't there. Instead, you have G2, which has Ocelot, who does not have a long history of succeeding in international events. Let's be real ill here. Uh, you're looking at Splice, which is an entirely new organization that was in relegations just one split ago. And you're looking at H2K Gaming, which, I mean, this is their second year in a row of making it to Worlds, but they've always kind of snuck in there. And last year they had Lulex of all guys. Like, this is not a team that was necessarily being given a ton of chances to to really grow. And even then, they're doing the best of all the European teams. So even that little experience seems to have done something. I think that... We have to figure out a way to have the bonuses that come from being at Worlds and understanding this international meta and taking these competitions. Because even you know guys like Faker or guys like Smeb or whatever, they do improve by playing teams in other countries that have developed their own metas, that play the game differently, that challenge them in different aspects of the game. You only get that at international tournaments. And I think this tournament is showing the gap can close. We can get teams that can really challenge an SKT or a Rocks Tigers. That's why there is no 3-0. Individual teams are getting there. But regions, like top-to-bottom regions, are still really struggling with that. And if trickle-down isn't working, I think it it would be kind of on Riot to examine, like, okay, well, is there any way that we can get, you know— the fourth, fifth, and sixth best teams from these regions all playing each other in some minor tournament, maybe after Worlds, is like a you know a, a big way of you know getting them some international experience. At least seeing what these different regional metas are like, like something, anything, so that they might have a chance to be prepared 
when the right group of players comes along because, you know, a lot of the teams that are struggling right now, as you said, their players are mechanically there. It's being able to handle the pressure of a big stage. It's being able to adjust to different types of opponents. And that's something you don't get when metas become very regionalized. And, and that's something I think they're going to have to look at. But we're going to, you know, at the same time, it's led to a very fun tournament. I wouldn't necessarily change any of what's going on. And, you know, it's easy for me to feel that way because I'm not G2. And let's just start into Group A. It's time to get an actual team-by-team breakdowns here. And it starts with G2, a team that I liked to get out of this group. I had high hopes for. I ignored all of the pundits that brought up things like EU's practice tendencies are terrible and they goof around and don't take scrim seriously and all of those things. Is, Is this the biggest embarrassment that we've seen a power region have on the world stage? Like, like how does this team go 0-3? See, this, the, it is. It, it's straight up, this is an embarrassment for Ocelot. This is an embarrassment for Youngbuck. This is an embarrassment for all the players. This is an embarrassment for Europe. Mm-hmm. This is the second time that G2 has won this region, has gone to an international tournament, and has laid an egg on stage. Mm-hmm. They have not looked good in their games. The game against Rocks was closer uh, than I think we really expected, but Rocks has some of their own issues early on in the game. Um, Mithy and Zen have looked okay. Trick has looked awful. Perks has looked awful. He has had some terrible item choices on, on champions. The Karma mid lane was an interesting pick, but he didn't know how to build it. And anytime they try to play through Expect, they have not played through Expect at all this year. They have no experience playing through a top laner this year. This isn't like Kickus, where occasionally they played through him in the spring. No, this is a new guy that you're putting all these resources in, all this time ganking, all this time hovering around his lane and, and setting up wards and everything, and you're just failing at it because he doesn't know when to TP. Now, whether that is a failure of shot calling or his own personal failure, who knows, but you don't go into the playoffs, into the finals, without understanding what your team is like. You don't go into round into the wild card round in the NFL playoffs mm-hmm. not knowing exactly what your team is like, what their tendencies are, what they're good at. You're not going to call a play you have never, ever called for them. And if you have a, a distinct disadvantage, if your secondary doesn't know how to play cover three, that is a huge issue that you need to discover during the preseason and during the regular season. And it seems like G2 went so smoothly through Europe that they never discovered all these fatal flaws. And I'm pinning this on Trick. Mm-hmm. As much as Perks has looked completely boosted and like he does not deserve to be there, Trick has been so absent from every single one of G2's games other than the very close early game against Rocks. It's incredible. It is incredible that the MVP of Europe has just not shown up. And not only that, I think you can blame him almost directly for two of the losses that we saw. Let's not forget the loss to the Rocks Tigers. They were ahead several thousand gold until they went for an inexplicable Baron. I have, I've still yet to, I've watched the film a couple times. I cannot come up with a single reason why Trick thought that that was a good idea against a jungler as good as Peanut is. That was an embarrassingly bad call. And I understand that there were some team fights after in which other players looked bad. You know, Perks and Expect have each had plenty of moments that make you say, what the heck are they doing? But in game one against CLG, it was wasting so much time in the, bot, uh, in the top lane, I should say, on ganks that just never came together for Expect. In game two, it really did come down to you know, that bad Baron call. And in game three, honestly, to to me, that comes down to the other issue, which is just prepping for this tournament. Their pick band has been atrocious. I mean, it's been really bad. How do you give Likrit brand? Like everyone bans, even the Rocks Tigers, like Koreans never scout international wildcard teams. Even they knew to ban brand. Even they knew that the Anivia was a potential pick and to not allow the Poppy Anivia combo in that kind of way. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I, they, they didn't seem to understand any of their opponents in this tournament as far as pick and ban went. And I don't know, man. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, can they come back from this? Is there any hope that 
you know, they look at the film and they improve? Or does the fact that they no. came out this, you know, lacking this much kind of sharpness kind of tell the story? E- even, even if they do turn around, which I expect they're going to turn around. They're not going to look this awful. Trick is going to, you know, figure it out and, and they're going to decide that they can't play through Expect. Or if they are, they really need to just go full bore on it, have Mithy, get, you know, roaming up there at level three type kind of stuff. Um, the problem is they're 0-3. Mm. CLG already has one uh, has a victory. Elvis Knox Luna has two. Rocks Tigers has two. They have none. G2 has no victories. None. Even if they go three and O, there is a very, very, very strong chance that CLG is gonna beat Elvis that CLG and Elvis Knox, one of them are gonna have three victories. It's it's so they're gonna have, then have to win a tiebreak. Just, yeah, just a to be clear, with three, two, and one teams, the one team, if they, in the best case scenario, one team going one uh oh and three one team has to go one and two so there will be at least two teams that get to three wins their best bet is that someone goes one and two they go three and oh and then they would have a three three tiebreaker game and that's mm-hmm. assuming that you know they they go three and oh which i don't think is going to happen i don't think this and, team is is equipped for that and 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 league esan is pointing out and i need to bring up the the schedule for this week on my other monitor they start against rocks yeah their first game is gonna be against Rocks Tigers. Yeah, and and, and let's get get to the Rocks Tigers. I think it's time because because we can go on all day about about G two and how mentally unprepared they look. Honestly, I think the Albus Knox game was the clear sign that they just gave up. They just yeah. looked like a team that didn't have fight in them anymore. And I doubt that fight comes back against the Rocks Tigers. Mm-hmm. But you know, the Rocks Tigers have issues of their own right now. This is a two and one team that just got dumpstered by a Huhi Aurelian soul pick. This is the kind of thing, <laughs> I, I, again, I, you know, it, it, it's, it, we're laughing, but at the same time, like, <laughs> we know that his Aurelian soul is this thing. The coach, Zix, literally went out on Twitter and begged his fans to recreate the bug so that they could fix it so that Aurelian soul could come back in. When you are that desperate to have a champion, like, isn't that as, like? Shouldn't someone on Rocks Tigers have known? How, how are they screwing up these drafts this badly? Because it has been affecting their early game. Um, I I think it is a they they feel very confident they're going to get out. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the the draft is they wanted. I feel like this is where they're like, okay, let's gather some information. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 download our opponents and figure out what their tendencies are, what they want to do. Something that we've said before, TSM did against Cloud Nine in the finals, so yeah. to speak. Um, and, and yeah, like you and I both know that who is Aurelian soul is one of the most dangerous things on the planet. And God, I'm shuddering saying anything about who being dangerous <laughs> um, but he plays a very good Syndra. There are some other meta champions that he plays very well as Cassiopeia is actually pretty good. So for me, it seems like rocks wanted to take the chance of, okay, let's, let's let their mid laner have his best champion and let's see if there's a way for us to beat him. Because they felt confident across the board that they could, you know, win anywhere else. Mm-hmm. They could win in the top lane. They could win in the bot lane. Um, win through the jungle. And I think CLG just had a perfect pick band phase where they really kind of put the Tigers into a corner. The Aurelian Soul is kind of like, yeah, like Aurelian Soul is a really strong pick. I can't believe they got him. But they also got Nar, which is a Darshan specialty and has been a Darshan specialty since mm-hmm. Nar was introduced. They got Caitlyn, mm-hmm. which... CLG Stix A is fantastic on Caitlyn. Yeah. Alistar for Afro Moo. His name is literally Afro Moo. Alistar for Afro Moo. And, and like, I want to emphasize, like, it wasn't just the CLG game. Like, that was a bad draft. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, your, your, your every point you've made is absolutely correct in that that was a terrible draft. But... I don't like their draft against G2 either. I, it, it seems like, like, do you believe that this testing the waters theory that you mentioned, is this going to make Rocks Tigers better as a team in week two? Is this, is this kind of the setup for the punchline where they go 3-0 and and yes. we're, we're laughing at them, you know, in the quarterfinals when they look really good and we're like, why did we ever doubt them? Yeah. This absolutely is. This is them <laughs> testing, this is them testing things out. They had three, they have three, they had six games. They have six games to win enough games to get into the quarterfinals, and winning two games in week one puts you in a really, really good spot going into into week two. Mm -hmm. They probably did not expect that Elvis Knox Luna 
was going to be the team nipping at their heels in second place. And that is probably the best thing on the planet that ever could have happened for Rocks because it makes it that much harder for CLG and for G2 to catch up and potentially take the one seed. They've already beat Elvis Knox Luna once. They are 1-0 against that team. They beat them a second time. They hold tiebreaker over Elvis Knox Luna. They don't care who the two seed is coming out. They want to learn the other tendencies of their group so that when they come into group two, they can 3-0, they can secure their number one seed, and they can move on with their lives and focus on the rest of the world. They can see what are other regions playing? What do other regions think are strong? And granted, G2 is the absolute worst team at this tournament, and you're learning nothing from them. But from playing against CLG... You're learning that, okay, Aurelian Soul is a super, super strong pick. It's really strong. This is how people play it. Okay, what can we do to counter it? Is there anything we can do to counter it? Does this turn into a situation that if the enemy team has anyone who remotely plays Aurelian Soul, we just have to ban that champion? Mm. I don't think any of the bans in the game against CLG, and I don't think any of the bans in the game against G2 were really that awful. I think they were all really strong bans, and... It was more about the execution of their compositions that they were having trouble with. Um, the Nocturne in the, in the G2 game was incredibly smart, but they really didn't get him going and weren't really executing well on those compositions until after they stole that Baron, until after Smeb got that gorgeous four-man cannon ult that completely turned the game on its head. They were behind. Nocturne is not very good as a jungler when you're behind. So... While the compositions aren't great and the pick bands are kind of mediocre when you're thinking about staple one-trick kind of pony champions, um, it's more about their execution in the early game that I think has really been lagging. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing where you know you can say that they're testing the waters, and I do agree with certain champion picks that that has been the case, and we've seen other high-quality teams do it before. But they're now in a three-way tie for first, and CLG does hold the tiebreaker over them right now. They cannot afford to make any mistakes from this point forward. They cannot afford to drop a game and, and suddenly find themselves in a place where they could be playing in a tiebreaker game. Or, God forbid, they drop the second game to CLG and CLG just wins the tiebreaker outright. That's in play now because of this. And the fact of the matter is, they could easily be 1-2 and two if G2 wasn't as bad as they've been and didn't throw at that barren pit. Because regardless of the drafts, regardless of, you know, these kinds of bigger conceptual issues that we do think are going to iron themselves out, I do agree with you 100% on that, they need to start taking their opponents seriously. And I, I think that the losses that we've seen in the early game come from underestimating their opponents and thinking that they can just kind of walk their way through this group stage. And maybe they can. Maybe next week, you know, Nofe will have analyzed all this stuff and they'll come guns blazing in week two. We certainly know they're capable of it. Anyone who looks at the Korean playoffs knows that they're capable of it. It's just a matter of whether they're going to do it. And, and speaking of teams where we got to wonder whether they're actually going to do it, Albus Knox. They're in this three-way tie for first we keep talking about. Somehow... Liquid is winning Please. in both best hair competition uh, at the tournament and being the most fun support that I think I have ever seen at one of these events. Full AP brand! That happened! That was a thing that won a game. And he did build Sightstone, just to be clear. He was, you know, it's full AP but with a Sightstone, so it's still support, we swear. But that's just, I mean, this team is just so much fun. There's so much energy behind them. They've got this, you know, very good kind of approach to the game from a mental perspective that we don't always see from wildcard regions. But now they've got two teams that are tied with them. You know, they, they have the victory over CLG, but they do not over uh, the Rocks Tigers. Can they pull this off, Walter? Is this in play? I, I think it's absolutely in play. I think that there is no pressure on them. There's absolutely no pressure on, on Albus Knox to make it out of this group. There was no pressure on them to win a game. None. When you're put in a group that has the number one seed out of Korea, the number one seed out of Europe, and CLG, who, granted, they were slumping, but have always really performed at international tournaments, especially early on, and have some really excellent preparation, there's no pressure on them. Yeah. And now they've won two games. And if they don't make it out of the group, no one's going to care. They've already won two games. We've already seen the bread. We've seen the top catch that deserves to be auto-banned against them. Yeah. I'm waiting for his third champion, and the teams are going to have to go, well, three support bans against Likrit. <laughs> Apparently, we need to do this. This is a thing. 
the brand is extremely dangerous. You had European, you know, European professionals tweeting out like, "Oh yeah, he got to number one on European solo queue just playing brand support." Like, yeah, yeah you have to ban it if, if he's on. You have to ban it when you go into queue because you don't know if he's going to play it. He has such a mastery over that champion, and and mm-hmm. I want to point specifically to this G two game mm-hmm. because while G two had terrible pick and ban phase and gave up pretty much. Everything that Albus Knox Luna ever could have wanted, mm-hmm. you still have to execute. Right. And that is the difference here. We've had wildcard teams get their like get their pocket picks before. We've we've seen that before. We've got Dumbledore's that got his barred, and everyone's like, ooh, Dumbledore's is barred. Like, oh, this is gonna be great. And then they just get crushed. Like, that happens. Mm-hmm. They have a, a a an execution. And they have a knowledge of exactly how their champions interact together, exactly how they should be moving around the map with those champions, exactly how you should be playing the game with those kind of champions. And the knowledge in which they execute their macro strategy is nearly flawless. This is probably one of the cleanest macro game wildcard teams. And even like maybe like tier three European North American teams that we've ever seen at Worlds. This is wonderful execution out of them, except... Except Origin, we have to give Origin their their credit from last year. Of course, their 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 warding, you know. their warding is flawless. Liquid somehow, while he's building damage, gets the wards where they need them to go. Mm-hmm. PVP Stejos makes up for it if Liquid doesn't have a sight stone early on. He makes sure that he's the one going in and saying, "Okay, I'm gonna get the ward here because we need a ward here to protect this lane." It's not even teams being disrespectful. Letting Brand through is somewhat disrespectful, but teams are still playing their hardest against them, and they're still coming out on top. Yeah. I, I love the execution from this team. I, I think execution is the right word because, you know, we're going to talk about INTZ later as, as a team that has talent but doesn't necessarily know how to turn that into objectives and into the next phase of things. And Albus Knox does. They have taken these small leads that you give them. They will play well in the early game, but more importantly, they know how to team fight. They know how to set up a Nivea wall in the Poppy Stun in the Brand Ultimate, and suddenly, you know, two guys are down and it's a 5v3. And instead of chasing for kills, which they'll do once or twice in a game, but most of the time, they'll go get Baron or Dragon in a Tower or all of these other objectives. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, the top Taiwanese team doesn't always make the correct decision on that, let alone like the Russian team is doing it. A team that is, you know, a region that hasn't sent a team since season three. Like, this is insane. This is genuinely so much fun to watch. I will say, I have I have one big concern, which is that when you're relying on your support for as much damage as they have been, that's not consistently going to be something you can count on. Like, Miracle has not been putting out a ton of stuff in team fights. He hasn't done anything that really impresses me. Uh, Kira... He had a great Anivia game, but the the other games he was you know he was fine. I think he's keeping even, but he's not going out of his way. I think Smurf has actually been the biggest surprise. Everyone know Kira because we have the Death Note memes on Reddit, but you know, Smurf being as good as he is and the way he's you know held on to Poppy Hammers sometimes, the patience he's shown, I think has been really impressive. But I don't like when I'm depending on a support to win team fights for me. That, that worries me, and it worries me because, you know, we, we already think that the Rocks Tigers are going to be doing very well. The other team that they're tied with is CLG. And you mentioned before, CLG is an organization with a ton of experience underneath their belt on an international stage. Zix is a coach that has proven himself before in big pressure situations. Aurelian Soul is now enabled again. You know, now they have a week to examine this film that they saw on Albus Knox and try to, you know, see if they can recreate that Rocks Tigers magic. You know, they get to play G2 after G2 will likely have nothing left to play for. Is CLG the presumptive favorite to get out of this group now that they have this Aurelian soul back on the table and they're looking scary again? I don't think they're the presumptive the presumptive team to get out of this group. I think Whoa. Elvis Knox... I think... And here's the thing. I think it's pretty even between Albus Knox and CLG. And it's because both Albus Knox and Rocks Tigers have blue side advantage. They have the ability to target ban the, the Aurelian Soul. Mm-hmm. And that's what G2 did when they were on red side. They target banned it. Rocks Tigers against CLG was on red side, meaning that you have to ban out other things. They have to ban out the Syndra. Granted, the Olaf and the Nami, the Olaf is, is pretty 
I totally understand the Olaf ban against Xmithy. He is probably the best, best Olaf jungle player in the world. Uh, and has shown it traditionally throughout his career. He was very good on the champion. Mm-hmm. The Nami is a little a little iffy where you could have gone Aurelian Soul. But again, look at what all of a sudden you gave up. You gave up Nidalee jungle. And I know there's been jokes. I know I personally have joked about it. Smithy is not a carry style jungler. But guess what? He's proven over the course of the year he can play Nidalee. Mm-hmm. Like, let's stop pretending that he's not a good Nidalee player. He is. He can play that kind of style. He can make it work despite the fact that he's traditionally support supposed to be more of a supportive style, bangy style jungler. He's shaken that. This is not season three Xmithy anymore. This is season six Xmithy, and he can play pretty much every variety of jungle champion that you want. So the last band could have gone to Aurelian Soul. I think now that he's now that Hui has proven it, both Rocks and Elvis being on blue side are just gonna get it out of the way. Well, and they're gonna and, make and- Let's be clear. Albus Knox didn't ban it because it was disabled when they played him. Yes. There, there was, they couldn't ban it. It wasn't eligible. So, yep, so it's absolutely. not that they didn't ban it. It's that, that they didn't ha- you know, they didn't need to because it wasn't, it wasn't available that day. Right. But even if it was, like you said, now they're playing on blue side. And one of the things that everyone always forgets about, blue side has a 55% win rate overall in, in professional League of Legends. That's what the stats say. Yep. And Albus Knox gets CLG on blue side. And they do have the. They can ban the Aurelian Soul. They can ban the Syndra. They can do a lot of things. You know, I think they'll have learned that they don't need to worry about the Nami because, at the very least, we can all agree that Aphromoo plays other champions as well. So, I think that Albus Knox stands as good a chance as as CLG does. However, I do want to say that we have never seen a wild card team make adjustments in the second week to the level that a team like, you know, CLG has or like the Rocks Tigers have, you know, Mm -hmm. or even, you know, European teams in general, not G2, G2's done, but other European teams, you know, infrastructure matters. You know, there hasn't been a Russian team that is as tough as the teams that they are now having to adjust against for this week too. And they're going to have to adjust to three different styles of play in a very short period of time that can be an issue. It doesn't necessarily mean it will be. But CLG is ready for this. Zix knows how to prep for these kind of games. So you give the slight edge to Albus Knox. I give the slight edge to CLG. But it is slight. And I think the fact that it is slight just says so much about how good Albus Knox has been compared to any of our expectations. We were talking about them in the happy-to-be-there camp. Now we're talking with them as the... This is a coin flip to get out of this group camp, and that's assuming that Rocks Tigers takes the rest of this seriously and doesn't drop a game here and there again, which is completely in play. Rocks Tigers dropped two last year and still made it to the finals of the tournament, so mm-hmm. who knows? I, I think this is going to be a very fun group to watch. I this, The CLG Albus Knox game is the one that I think is the big one that will decide second game of the day and it's the second game of the day it'll be right after we get to see ocelot's hopes and dreams crushed right (laughs) it'll be a very it'll be a very emotional two hours for you regardless of how it ends up walter and that's really (laughs) what i look forward to but we're gonna move on to group b because group b is one of those where you know we we went into this and we said you know there are people that are starting to say that smeb is better than faker you know, what, what does that mean? You know, Faker's going to put that on his wall and he's going to make that motivation and SKT is going to come out and they're going to prove that they're better than they were when they lost 3-2 to a KT Rolster team that isn't even at this tournament. And they're just, you know, they're going to come out guns blazing. And for the first two games, they did that. And, and then they didn't. And the Flash Wolves continue to be the Korean killers. So, you know, without getting into the Flash Wolves in particular, you know, our SKT deserving of this new tournament favorite hype that we've seen on Reddit as people are falling back into the faker as a legend and you just don't mess with SKT at the world yeah. championships? You say yes. You're not, you're not yes. deterred at all. Oh, I'm not, I'm not deterred at all. And, and honestly, after I saw their game one and how clean SKT played the very first day, uh, how, how quickly they just absolutely dismantled uh, Cloud9, like, I... I'm not worried about them at all. I think that they're almost a shoe in to make it to the grand finals. Um, Blank though has been an issue, even in the mm-hmm. second, in the first game that he played. Which even though SKT won, he's still an issue. I think they need to just go to Bengi. 
I think they cannot trust Blank anymore. I think it is now you have to go back. You have to pull out Mariana Rivera. You got to pull out the guy who's been there two other times. And you have to say, take us to the promised land. Because the, the synergy between Faker and Bengi is just unmatched. It is something that Faker and Blank have just have not received. And Blank is a different style of jungler than, than Faker is really used to. Blank is the kind of guy that goes into the enemy jungle and expects his mid laner to back him up. Where Bengi is more of a, I'm going to go into the enemy jungler, but I'm not really going to expect my mid laner to do anything. I'm at the beck and call of my mid laner, not the other way around. And I truly think that as much as Faker is trying to to change and wants to adapt his style so he can be more of a reactive, helping his jungler on invades, I just don't think that's his game. And I think they play at their best when Faker doesn't have to worry about like, oh, great, this kid's running around their jungle, I gotta go follow up. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're at their best when they do that. I don't think we should see Blank anymore. I think is gonna have to make a very decisive decision to just go to Bengi and ride his two-time world champions. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. And, and I do think it's interesting that we saw Bengi in the first game of this group. You know, when they went up against Cloud9, which, you know, some people have said Cloud9 was the team that we should expect to get out of this group. Right now, they are... In that position, they are tied for first with SKT. So maybe playing Bengi was a sign of respect to Cloud9, whereas you know these other two teams, they felt like they could feel it out and see what happens. Uh, I think doing that against the Flash Wolves would be a little silly, given that the Flash Wolves two owed them in MSI. But you know, it, it's in play, I suppose. I, I agree with you. I don't think Blank added anything to the table. I, I think that you know, if anything, he does serve as a you know, distraction to a certain extent. He is not getting the kills that you'd want. He's not helping getting guys like Duke ahead. You know, we're not seeing him work his side lanes appropriately. And as much fun as the Faker show is, it should not be defined by his jungler. The jungler should be defined by the Faker show. Because when you let Faker operate in the way he wants to, then suddenly you're in a position where the rest of the team is freed up to do more around the map. You know, Wolf's roams are more consistent because Mm. the team has to be afraid that Faker can roam because they don't have to be worried about Blank doing something on the other side of the map and Faker having to be over there instead. Um, It just feels more cohesive. And, you know, I I guess the the way to, to, you know, the next logical question is, do you think that that is a shot-calling you know, decision-making, just Banky's experience coming through on that end that Blank just doesn't have on this stage? Or do you think that it is potentially a style of play? You know, because they did this twice. You know, they, they keep picking this Cassiopeia for Faker, and it's it's not the champion I would pick. And it's certainly, you know, the way he, you know, was getting killed in the mid lane against Flash Wolves. Like, Maple was taking advantage of Faker even when he wasn't following up on Blank. So... There seems to be a style shift there. So do you, you know, can we say it's all on blank or do we think that maybe there are some other things about the way they're playing where they'll have to make adjustments? I, I think it's underestimating Aurelian Soul again. And I made a joke on, on Twitter. Aurelian Soul seems like the perfect anti-carry champion. Why hasn't Keen played him yet? <laughs> because he is. He seems incredibly, incredibly like... I'm just going to make the mid laner's life miserable. And I know someone, it was either on Reddit or Twitter, someone said, like, Apto, the, the, the anti-faker, dark faker, the, the bad guy, the one we'll never ever see on the professional stage, has said that he thinks Aurelian Soul is a boosted champion and that he can make a bronze player go even in lane with a challenger. That's some hyperbole that I don't want to get into. But it does seem very much like he's a champion that can really manipulate the lane in a way that you're not comfortable with. Um, the orbs really give him a huge area, you know, area of threat where you have to pay attention to that, pay attention to the Aurelian Soul's positioning, and then also pay attention to your your river, your where your wards are, all that kind of stuff. And I think that Faker got really kind of caught out, and we saw KT, when they played Aurelian Soul, really messed with mid laners, uh, Fly especially. We've seen it with Hui. He really messes with the other mid laners' uh, uh, mentality when he's playing this champion. Yeah, It was underestimating it. I don't think he's comfortable against that champion. They probably didn't expect Maple to be as good at it as he was, 
And because Faker has to be so worried about what is Blank doing, do I need to go back him up? Do you know is he going to need me to do something? That's again something else that he now has to worry about. Yeah. But Bengi. Bengi is the sacrificial lamb. Mm -hmm. He is always willing to sacrifice himself, sacrifice his resources, sacrifice anything that he can for the betterment of his teams. I know someone brought up that like Duke, Duke goes off when Bengi plays. That's true. That his numbers go up like eighteen for like like double like just incredible type of thing, and that's why I think SKT needs Bengi. Mm -hmm. They don't need another superstar carry. They need someone that is going to. Enable their three carries, enable Bank, enable Faker, and enable Duke to do what they do best. And Blank is just not that guy. Yeah. I, I'll say this. I'm going to give a shout out to uh, winning some games on our Twitch because he makes a very good point. Bangy is not an early game jungler. He's never going to be an early game jungler. Oh. If you think that early game junglers are the way this meta is going to go, which it, it definitely seems like that's going to be the case... Sorry, SKT didn't bring an, uh, an early game jungler in either case. One of the things that's kind of, you know, that Monty pointed out on Twitter is that both of them basically have the same champion pools at this point, given where the meta is at Worlds. One of the funniest things of the whole tournament was, you know, having, you know, Cloud9 ban uh, the Nidalee against <laughs> Bengi, despite <laughs> Bengi having zero competitive <laughs> games and having played since season two. Like, it, it genuinely, it's incredible. Um... That was that was a slip up by Reaper. I I don't like giving Reaper too much of a hard time, but that was that was not great, buddy. Um, but but look, you're never going to get an early game jungler. So given that, you have to pick between these two. And what Banky does for the rest of his team in terms of shot calling, in terms of giving confidence to the sidelines, and allowing Faker to just focus on Faker things until the rest of the team needs him at the fifteen you know to twenty minute mark. That's SKT's path to victory. And if they do that, I agree with you. We see them in another World's Finals. Um, I think that they can very much be that team. But I will say this. I, I think that the most dangerous thing that could happen to SKT is if they assume what we just assumed. Because they don't have an early game jungler, and this is a meta where they're going to be going up against a lot of them. And there are a lot of people that are going to try to get in Faker's head and cause him to get more aggressive. There are a lot of people that are going to target Duke and try to really put him down. There are going to be some people that finally try to punish that bot lane, which we haven't really seen tested in this group, because I don't think any of the bot lanes, other than maybe Cloud9's, is particularly great. This is going to get harder and harder for them to not have that type of jungler as this tournament goes on. I, and I, just, I still have concerns about that. That's I, I have to interject because I feel like early game jungler is being misidentified. Early game jungler, to me, when people say it, means they are early game carry, that they're going to get a whole lot yeah. of kills. Lee that they're going to literally the most popular junglers is, we're seeing. He is 28 and 12 on Lisa. He is 30 and 8 on Elise. In his career, he is 27 and 8 on Rek'Sai. Teams with Faker tend to have good win rates. You can't judge it on I'm, win rate. Like, like Bengi's Lee Sin is not mechanically the kind of thing you associate with an early game carry jungler. I, I it's just it, it's he doesn't just need not, to be a carry with those chance. He does not need to be a carry with Lee Sin. He does he not need to go get three kills as Lee Sin early on. He utilizes Lee Sin to enable his lanes. I think all three of those junglers are good enough to enable your lanes. When I say that, you don't need a Sejuani to go throw a, an ultimate or an Amumu to go throw an ultimate. But all but, you have to do is go pressure that lane. But and I think you'll agree with me on this. We'd all be feeling a lot better about SKT if this was last year's meta and Gragas was the main jungler that Bengi could build around. Like, there are other metas in which Bengi's playstyle is also represented in the champions that are at their most popular. This is not that meta. Like, he has a higher win rate on all three of those champions than Gragas, because Gragas is at 61%. I'm just saying. I I, I think I think, I think people I think are looking at it and overblowing it. I think win rate is a terrible way to break down someone's skill at a champion. But but we can move. We have to move on. We've spent too much time on SKT. We're trying to keep this podcast to a reasonable length for you, you uh, lovely listeners listening uh, later on in life. Uh, we're gonna go to IMA. We we're not. Gonna, I don't know if there's much to say about IMA. They have a win that they definitely didn't deserve. If you look they're, back they're, over the film. They're winning at least one more game, and they're spoiling someone from getting out of this group. Really? Okay, so... so I guarantee it. You're on the they're other, winning one more game. You're on the other side of it, at so least. please, ma make your case for Imei so that I can then go on the other side. I think they're such a funky team to play against. Hmm. I think they're just very unique in their in their play style and their champion pools. They keep playing Echo. 
Amazing Jay keeps playing Echo for some strange reason, which, yeah, he's a great Echo player. Is but he? Like, is he Echo? a great Echo player? Yeah, I guess. You wouldn't keep playing a champion if you were like, I think... Okay, never mind. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I'm going to call that into question here. I, I, I mean... <laughs> You know, I, I like the idea of the Echo pick. I, I, I can see why he would pick it. It certainly matches the aggressive style that he has. But, I mean, that Cloud9 game, he had the worst teleport of the entire tournament. Where he literally teleported in to die. Which we haven't seen since Lept did it, I believe, back in Season 4. It was it was a mess. There were There were moments where this team just looked sloppy. And, you know, I'll say this. You know, Avoidless has... You know, they, they always like to say, he has creative jungle paths. That's the word that every, people love saying. Oh, it's, you, know, you know, and I kind of feel like, and I, I hate to say this because someone's going to feel badly about this, but it's like when someone says, oh man, you know, my child, you know, they're having a trouble in school, but they're so creative, you know, they're just so, they're so, you know, they just have such a create, you know, a creative imagination. It's like, that, that's not, you don't get to just say that. Like, sure, maybe his pathing is weird, but is it working? Is it getting any of his lanes ahead? It's certainly not getting Amazing Jay ahead. No. Uh, you know, Athena is their laning mid lane, which we saw them go back to against Cloud9. That didn't go very well, though they let, you know, Jensen Syndra through, so maybe they were yeah. just kind of asking for but that to go wrong. I didn't look at that as a problem. I think Athena is the better mid laner for them. I really? think that they really need to play around. Yeah, I think they need to play around uh, Athena more. Um hmm. I think that he's just, he, that's part of the uniqueness of this team is that he is not a very hard carry kind of mid laner. Mm -hmm. He is more of a supportive, like secondary. He feels very high-esque to me. God, I can't believe I'm uttering that name. He's very high-esque <laughs> to me. I feel like that's that's what he brings to the team. He's a stabilizing presence for, for this roster. And I don't know, I just think that they're very hard to game plan for. I think they're very hard to prep for their kind of macro play. And they are extremely willing to just sit back on their laurels and wait until they can fight you on their terms, which is they want to fight team fights. They don't want to duel you in laning phase. They would rather, if they could end laning phase in five minutes and just go to macro rotational team fight play, like right there, that is the team that Monty needs to be coaching. Rotations, rotations, rotations. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's just really, really weird for teams to prepare again. So I think they're going to win at least one more game, and they're really going to spoil someone's chances. See, I understand what you're saying, and, and the reason that I disagree is because if, if you're going to go towards Athena and you want him to be the secondary carry, awesome. Who's your primary carry? Is it a voidless? No. Is it Athena? No. You know, you're just, you just said, no, no, we don't need him to be the primary. Okay, so is it Amazing J? Are you trusting Amazing J to win a game for you? Get him on Rumble. I think that's what he needs to do. Is he needs to get on Rumble and Kennen, not Echo. Yeah, so then you have a guy who's not in... You know, that's a pusher, but that's not a, a, the hard carry of a team. That's not what you really want. I don't if know. Did you a, see Steph play Kennen? Yeah, well... <laughs> I, I, I've been, I've been very. Kennen, Kennen would be fine. I Rumble, I'm not so sure. You know, is, is a primary carry. I'm not so sure about Rumble as a primary carry. I, I and I definitely, I will say this: Jin Zhao and Road do not look good. That, that's that is not a bot lane that you can depend upon. I don't, I don't know how you can have 18% damage dealt as an AD carry. I, that seems physically impossible to me. I, the most that's amazing like thing ridiculous. is, like, I would have expected that from NL, but not from like Jin Zhao, <laughs> like. Come on, man! Like, how are you the second worst bot lane in in a re in a group that has NL in it? Well, let's be real and let's move on to it. It's because Sword Art is really good, and it's because the Flash Wolves, as a whole, uh. I think the quote was hundred and two of the first hundred nineteen minutes of play, they were leading, and they were zero and two in those two games. That is an unprecedented level of failure. And I think that you and I, surprise, surprise, you and I disagree on a Taiwanese team. I know everyone listening to this podcast Weird. is shocked. It, unprecedented in our podcast history. But you tell me why I'm an idiot for believing in this team, and I'll try to give the counter and give us Taiwanese fans who got some ulcers from those first two games a little bit of hope. So there's a quote from some movie or some show about salespeople where, where you have to learn the ABCs of, uh, of sales. It's always be closing. Mm. Well, Flash Wolves went to salesperson school and they learned the NBCs of closing, which means never be closing. Uh, and even though they beat SKT, which was impressive, it was a good win. I don't think SKT was playing to their best. And I think they got cheesed by Aurelian Seoul, uh, like another Korean team did yesterday. So be it. 
I just am reminded of a 70-plus minute game against Cloud9 where both teams looked so inept, so inept at closing the game. And this is where I look at Aimee and I go, Aimee is actually a really good like late-game closing team. They're not great in the early game, but they're really good once you start getting into like the team fight late game, like let's rotate around, let's pill, you know. They couldn't, Flash Wolves and Cloud9 couldn't bait each other at Baron. Neither of them could bait each other at Baron. They'd sit there for five minutes and go, come on, come to Baron, we're going to do Baron. We're gonna, come on. And the other team's like, nah, you're not going to do Baron. We don't trust you're going to do Baron. That was and then the they worst walk away and the replace tournament. each other. It was awful. That it was, was terrible. I say I that hate, as- <laughs> I hate Cloud9 and Flash Wolves for wasting 70 plus minutes of my life watching this thing live. Oh, I hate it. And that is what scares me about the Flash Wolves. As good as they looked against SKT, they looked twice as bad against Cloud9. That was a terrible game. I'm not going to defend that game, and I'm not going to defend the pick and ban from that game. There, there's, there's no argument that justifies being ahead of in a game for that long and not being able to close. Because at the end of the day, it's either A, your players don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. or B, they, you picked a composition that does not have a win condition after a certain point. And in that Cloud9 game, they were ahead by so much gold, and they couldn't get a kill. They couldn't get a pick. They had all poke and no engage. There was nothing to follow up on on the poke damage. So once all the towers were gone, it's like, good, we're really good at sieging things. We got all the structures down. Now what? I don't know. Welcome to I, the school of H2K. Yeah, like, it, it, like it's a huge problem. And, and honestly, I, I understand to a certain extent how you get there because all of the champions they picked, like you go down the list, like that's a good champion. It's nice to have Jace on a roster. It's nice to have Nidalee. Varus has been doing really well. Like all of these things are good and they all did really well for the first 35 minutes of the game. But how do you close a game when that's all that you have? I don't know. And they didn't either. But I think the thing, and, and this is what I'm going to point to here, and I, I know that, you know, it, you're less inclined to give credit to some of these Taiwanese teams because you can make an argument that the region as a whole, top to bottom, is not as strong as some of the other Wild card boys. I would say that Europe looks way worse than Taiwan right now. They do. They so do. so let's, just, let's just be clear. <laughs> you know, there was a post saying, why can't we give one of the LMS's team to Russia? I'm like, let's not throw stones likely western audience here <laughs> guy who had a fanatic flair saying that like if you know let's, <laughs> let, let's be clear on which region would be losing out but but all of that's to miss the point which is to say that Fla- you know flash wolves did take a great draft in game three not only did they execute well they drafted well and that's not something you could say about the first two games and you know you can make the argument that they misread the meta that they made some bad decisions in terms of how they thought they could build around their roster they completely overreacted in their second game and went all poke when before they were really lacking in the kind of siege that they needed. So much so that it took them 40 minutes to take a freaking mid lane tower. Not that I'm still bitter, <laughs> but like, you know, all of this is to say like, these are fixable problems. The team itself, the players on the rift are playing really well. Karza has had a couple issues here and there, but overall he's been good. Maple's been great. MMD is holding his own against everybody you throw at him. And NL has played better than expected, while Sword Art has been a monster. The players on the Rift are doing their job. The problem is that they haven't been given the right tools to succeed. And as soon as they did, they took down SK Telecom. And I will remind you that Flash Wolves won their group last year, having dropped a game to CLG, having dropped a game to a wildcard team, and beating the Koreans twice. So... I am not ready to say that they cannot adjust to week two. I think that Warhorse and Fluid Wind and that entire coaching staff have now learned some lessons. They're going to learn a heck of a lot more of them going into week two and analyzing the film. And Group B has the longest amount of time. They don't play until Sunday. They're going to have a lot of time to make sure that they don't make any of those same pick and ban mistakes. They really need to go 3-0. They, ne- they really need to go 3-0. That's the problem. Well, the thing is, that's assuming that you think that Cloud9 is good enough to get that 2-1 and to say that the minimum for this group will be that you need to go 4-2 to get out. And I'm going to turn it over to you. Do you think Cloud9 played like a team that can go, you know, that can go 2-1 this next week? Are they are they going to avoid the pitfalls that plagued them last year? 
the, the game against IMA, they looked very, very good. They looked incredibly strong. They had a really strong early game. They knew where they needed to play to beat IMA, and they took advantage of it, and they didn't give IMA a chance to get back into it. They built themselves enough of a lead, and they played a clean enough macro game that they didn't need to worry about it. And ho oh, ho! They, they, they didn't fall for the trap! They didn't fall for the Leeson trap! Oh my god! <laughs> they didn't fall for Leeson! The entire time, everyone's going, IMA is trying to convince them to pick Leeson. I was trying to convince them to pick Lee Sid. I'm like, oh, God, not again. I can't watch. And they didn't fall for it. They finally realized that Medios is not a good Lee Sid player. I don't care how many times Jack rubbed his shoulders and patted him on the back and said, it's okay, you finally hit the kick you needed. No more Lee Sid for Medios. You need to remove the L key from his from his keyboard so he can't even, like, type in the champion. He needs to hover over it just as a joke, and Reaper with 30 seconds needs to be like, okay, put it on Teemo. I'd rather you play Teemo jungle at this point. He needs to be done with Lee Sin. I don't want to see it again. Not at all. You're terrible at it. And it's funny. People are not letting him play the Zac. That's something where I think you and I both thought, like, that would be a pick that he could break out that would be like some of these other junglers, but, you know, wouldn't necessarily be something that people ha- put, you know, put priority in banning and they are banning it and they're banning it not because they think that Meteos' Zack is so good, but mostly because they think that his pool isn't particularly deep. And I'm inclined to agree with them. Yeah, mostly I because mean... I think the only jungler that he looked even decent against, you know, is, assuming that Bengi keeps playing, the only jungler he looked de- decent against is a Voidless. And as you heard, I don't think very highly of Aimei. I, that's, that's, I think, the biggest difference between you and me is their win against Aimee doesn't really impress me because I don't think Aimee wins another game in this group. I, I don't think that I, I think Aimee is a miracle team that got here off of so many things having to break the right way, you know, and, and congratulations to them. They earned their right at world to, you know, their spot here. They did everything you could probably ask of them to do, but I don't think they're able to keep up with the rest of the teams in this group. And so... I, since I don't put a lot of stock in that win, I mean, one, I do have to punish the Flash Wolves even so, harder so, for losing to them. I cannot. So basically, I cannot basically what you're saying, it. basically what you're saying is Cloud Nine's going to beat IMA. That's going to put them at three and three. Yeah. Flash Wolves goes. Oh, let's say Flash Wolves goes three and zero. Oh. I think they go. I think they go two and one. Or they go two and one. I think they go two. I think either so that ties them with Cloud Nine, and that means they have to beat Cloud Nine then again that day, which I don't yeah. know how like. Well, Cloud9 lost the tiebreaker the last time they were in that situation with several of the same players. I that I mean, I don't know. I, I do not Se- think... Several? Yeah. Two? I, I Jensen mean, and Sneaky. Jensen and That's Sneaky. That's it. Jensen and Sneaky are the only two players that played for Cloud9 at last year's Worlds. That's fair. I, but I, it, it was balls, it was <laughs> high jungle, and it was Lemon Nation. You're, you're not wrong. And, and that's why they went 0-4 that week instead of what I think they're going to do, which I think they're going to go 1-2. and 2. But, I, I, I mean, look, can Cloud9 make it out of this group? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think they need to play better than they did this week. I think that if they I play, agree. I think that Flash Wolves will take a step forward. Whether you think it's enough of a step forward, that's up for debate. I understand your side of the argument, even if I don't agree with it. But I think that regardless of that, if Flash Wolves steps up, you cannot stay at the power level that Cloud9 is at and expect to beat them the next time around. You're going to have to come up with something new. You're going to have to come up with a new way to win these games because Meteos isn't doing it for you. Impact's NAR is going to be banned, and he hasn't been carrying the way that a lot of people expected. I don't think Jensen gets Syndra again. And the bot lane has really been quiet, and some of that smoothie being inexperienced, some of that... I just don't think Sneaky is, has proven. You're, to be- you're drinking so much. Cool- you're you're finding every excuse against Cloud Nine, and you're drinking a ton of Kool Aid on no, Flash Wolves. Look, and after I may beats them the very first game, Flash Wolves will be done. Flash Wolves so- never lost a game because of their talent. Cloud Nine should have lost two games because of their talent. That's the difference. Flash Wolves lost games because they had terrible pick and ban, and they made a couple really bad macro decisions. Cloud9 should have lost that game to Flash Wolves because they played terribly for 68 minutes and got lucky that Medios finally got his head out of his you-know-where and made a play. And they and you beat Aimei because Aimei is not a good team. And you know what? If Flash Wolves... Des- I, I, this is what we're going to end it on. If Flash Wolves deserved to win that game, they would have won it before it hit 70 minutes and Lee Sin hit a kick. Yeah, That's what I have to say that. pick that. and ban they were so good, that pick and ban was terrible. The pick and ban was terrible. 
I, I'm not defending the pick and ban. That roster, they picked a team that could not they win. Had, they had a siege composition with a lead. They if had, you can't win with a siege composition with a lead, you, can't, you don't deserve to win that game. You have to have an engage tool, and they didn't. They had no engage. You can't win a game without any engage. You need well, something. Well, their engage was Navi Wave. Yeah, they exactly. They needed, like, even a scone would have been more of an engage tool. Like, just throwing a scone at the actual team on the other side of the, of the stream would have been a better engage tool than what they had. They drafted terribly. They paid the price. I don't think they're going to draft that terribly again. And if they're not going to draft that terribly again, that means Cloud9 needs to be able to outplay them. And we'll see if they can. And if they do, Cloud9 gets out of this group and we don't even have to worry about a tiebreaker. If they can't, I don't like Cloud9 in the tiebreaker. But we'll see. That's what it really comes down to. Do, do you, what do you think will be fixed faster? The Cloud9 mechanical issues that we saw or Flash Wolves drafting? And I'll tell you right now as a coach, I think you can fix drafting issues a lot faster than you could fix Meteos not looking like a good jungler and... Impact. Well, here's, here's the easy not. thing: you don't put him on Lee Sin that he hasn't played in like forever. That you helps. put him on Olaf. You put him on Elise. You put him on Rexai. You put him on minimal mechanical champions. Yeah. Which, granted, teams are banning, literally banning out against him. But let's not forget here that Cloud Nine against Flash Wolves is going to be blue side. That's true. So they are going to get their first pick of the jungle. So unless, as Flash Wolves, you are willing to ban Elise, Rexai, and Zach, and he, I think he can play Nidalee. I think that's the one champion that he's got hidden in his pocket that if people are really like, okay, like, I think he can play Nidalee. And granted, it's another mechanical intensive champ that scares me to death, but he has something else in his pocket that he's ready to play if teams do that. That's what he's going to spend all week doing is finding that one jungler that people aren't going to expect and he's going to unleash it on someone. It's it's all in play. I, I by no means... My problem with Flash Wolves is their macro late game rotational play is not very good uh, and you, that, you can't you say can't that and acknowledge the skt win the macro play there was perfect they can and play they macro their macro game was awful a good composition their macro game was great we need to move on we, we we're going to go back and forth on whether it was the play or the composition they, it, it's a it's an endless circle uh you can tweet each of us our personal twitters are on here let us know which one of us you think is an idiot i certainly will find out on sunday uh either cloud nine will prove me wrong and i'll be having to eat some crow or walter's going to be looking very sad at the north american line of things uh i just want to take one moment here because we've taken so many moments here this this is where this is where we're going to cut the vod into two parts so are we really you want yeah, I think so. I think this is where we're going to cut it into two parts. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, We're already there. We're already halfway through. So if you want to watch Group C and Group D, go ahead and just click Next in the playlist. It'll be somewhere like down here. Yeah. And that'll take you to Group C and Group D. I just need to do that for myself when yeah. I cut it. And both of these will be on the SoundCloud playlist as well, soundcloud.com slash esportsroughdrafts. That's where all of our podcasts are. You can find them on that or our YouTube page. It's also on iTunes, Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, you can subscribe to all those places. You'll get all of our episodes. You know, we're doing this recap show now live for you guys. We will be doing recorded Guess the Lines episodes where we will actually guess the gambling lines for each of these weeks and make our final predictions. You can tell that the Cloud9 Flash Wolves line will be a very contentious part of the Group B podcast. Uh, but definitely stick around for all of that. Uh, meanwhile, for those of you on Twitch, we're just going to keep on keeping on. 